Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, we want to begin reading in verse number 25. Uh, This is Father's Day. It's always a special time uh, for every pastor to look into the Bible and to find things there that will help uh, father, uh, be a better father. I heard a story about a father who... uh, went to a doctor and the doctor says you're in terrible shape and unless something is done you're going to die you're under too much stress and you're not eating right tell your wife that she has to start cooking more nutritious meals and uh, to help reduce the stress have her keep the kids off your back so you can relax then make a budget and tell her she has to stick to it and if you and if you do all of this you'll probably recover completely Otherwise, you're going to be dead within a month. Obviously shaken, the, the, the patient said, Doc, would you call my wife before I get home and give her those instructions? When he got home, his wife uh, rushed to him and said, I just talked to the doctor. She wailed. Poor man, you only have 30 days to live. She wasn't going to cooperate with those directions at all, you know. Uh, You know, men are misunderstood a lot of times because they're from another planet. Right, ladies? Can I have an amen, ladies? Well, yes. Men are from another planet. I heard of a mother who left her room in the maternity ward to go down to the nursery and found her husband staring at his newborn baby. The mother could tell he was so captivated by this baby and by how intently he stood there looking down into the crib. She was so touched that she finally tiptoed up behind him and slipped her arm through his and said, Honey, what are you thinking? He said, I just can't understand how they can make a crib like that for $98. He just doesn't get it, does he? I'd like to talk to you today about the Father God designed, and we want to begin reading in verse number 25 of Matthew uh, 6. Jesus here is talking about... uh, Uh, something very practical. It's about how we provide for our families. And he said, as a Christian, I I don't want you to worry about providing for your family. Verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Uh, of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had every Every bit of money at his disposal, he could pick a new suit of clothes off the rack on any given day. And God said, listen, Solomon doesn't look as good as the lilies that I make. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall you eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Like every earthly father is so concerned that he or she meets the needs of 
their family, uh, so is God even more concerned that he meets the needs of his spiritual family. Verse 33 is one of the best verses in all the Bible for me because it's one of the verses that I first learned to memorize when I tried to start, start walking with God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added to you. What does that mean? All the things that are mentioned beforehand, food, clothing, shelter. God says, listen, if you put me first, I'll provide all these things for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Lord says, listen, don't you dare worry about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You've got so many issues today. That's all the energy you have. Just deal with today. You know, being a father is a great responsibility. It really is. It's all about commitment. Commitment is to learn to be a better father to pay a price, whatever it takes to provide and protect the ones that God has entrusted to you. My father died at age 68. That's young in our world. I often say he worked himself to death. Most of the time he worked two jobs. From my earliest recollection, he uh, was a mechanic in the P&L Railroad, Pennsylvania, Lake Erie. Uh, it was a dirty, hard, dangerous job that he had. Uh, he worked on steam engines. Some of you have seen pictures of those in books. Those were those engines that they put the coal in and all that soot come out the top and that just covered everything wherever it went. Whenever he came home from work, he was just completely blacked out. Uh, he worked hard at that job. Uh, he lost that job when uh, uh, diesel engines came into play. But then he found other work, and he was always good about finding the next job to provide for his family. He was willing to do anything to put food on the table. Uh, I think one of the primary things that God has in store for every father is to take his responsibility to provide for his own. First Timothy 5.8 uh, is a wonderful verse of Scripture. Let's read this together, okay? But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whenever we stand uh, at the altar and say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish all the days of our life. Uh, that's commitment. It really is. Here the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that, that we are to provide for our own family. And if we don't, we've denied the faith. Uh, churches at that particular time were in charge of caring for widows who had no family. And that's an interesting passage. I've read it several times this last week, that whole chapter, 1 Timothy 5. And it says if, uh, if a widow has a family, then the family is responsible to take care of the needs of the widow. But if a widow does not have a family, is left alone, then the church back in that day stood up and wrote that person's name on their role, and it was a responsibility for the church to take care of the widow. And this verse is given in that context right there. The primary responsibility, though, of, uh, of every widow is their family. And, you know, children are to pay back their parents. You know, when, uh, when you sit here today and think of all the things your parents did for you, you wouldn't even be here today without your parents. 
Uh, whenever you got sick and they prayed over you, they got you through. Whenever you got so sick, they, they had to take you to the hospital. That's exactly what they did. They took you to the hospital. Your very life and existence uh, is given to you by your parents. Uh, but many times as parents grow old, uh, many of us have to take care of our parents longer than they took care of us. Many people in our church are caring for their aged parents right now. And they come in almost with a new story every week of something they have to do, uh, something that needs to be done. And sometimes that wears on for a long period of time. But, you know, there's nothing we can do, though, to, re to repay what our parents have done, have done for us. Uh, God says here, in order to meet the needs, though, of your family, uh, I want you, first of all, don't worry about it. He didn't say don't work. He just said don't worry. Uh, and then he says, I'm going to provide all these things if you put me first. You know, that's really a neat promise. Those are the words of Jesus. Red letters in my Bible. Jesus said, you put me first, I'll take care of your needs. Now, what does that mean? That means food, clothing, and shelter are basic needs. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this church that doesn't have a whole lot more than that. You have enough food, you have more clothes than you'll ever wear. Uh, and you have a roof over your head. That's God's promise. He said, don't worry about these things. I know you need those things. Uh, but he didn't say don't work. Work is important. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, what does that mean? That means you will obey what the Bible says about work. Apply biblical principles to work. Here's a few verses that I think you'll like. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. When you go to work, do it with your energy. Put everything you have into it. Uh, I tell people, come early, stay late. Uh, whenever the boss thinks of you, uh, let him think of you. Listen, that person is the best worker in my company right there. I think that's what God wants for us. Do it with all your might, all your energy for your work. The New Living Translation says, do it well. Uh, you can never go wrong doing your work well. And so let's just kind of summarize uh, these few thoughts we've talked about already this morning. First of all, put God first. You can never go wrong doing that, can you? Uh, if everybody walked out of this auditorium this morning and said, listen, I, there's a lot of things I don't know how to do, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to put God first in my life. You're on your road. You're on the way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll give you these things that you need in your life. Then work for it. You can never go wrong doing your work well, can you? You can never go wrong having the boss think of you, hey, that, that person is my best worker. God provided manna for his children in the wilderness, but they had to go out and gather it each day. He didn't deliver it to them up to their door. They had to go get it. Uh, and they couldn't work every day. Remember, they had a Sabbath. They could gather the manna each day, and then on Friday they could get twice as much. It would carry them over for Saturday. Saturday, the Sabbath is rest. You know, men are all tempted to fall in love with their job. I hear that all the time. Uh, my husband spends too much time at work. That's all he does. That's all he thinks of. He, uh, men have this tendency. They get their self-esteem, their applause, uh, their self-worth. Uh, they get a plaque, and then, then you can't live with them after they get a plaque. They shoot for the next plaque. 
And on and on it goes. And you wonder, boy, I thought I married somebody who was going to stay home and talk to me. Well, you know, if I could turn back the clock and many people in our church could turn back the clock, I'll tell you what, we wouldn't work as many hours as we worked before. Uh, we'd spend a lot more time doing other things that are important. We weren't meant to work all the time. God created the Sabbath to give us time to think about something else, a time to wind down. Uh, another thing that, uh, that works well when it comes to providing for our family is to pray. Boy, how many people here have been praying that the Lord will provide your needs lately? Would you raise your hand? You've been praying the Lord will provide your needs. That's many of us. I think we have a little video right here to, uh, that speaks to that. Hey, did you talk to Ken? Yeah. Did it go the way you thought it would? Yeah, it did. Now listen, we have talked about this, and I support any decision you make. You know, I think I need some time in the workshop. I think that's a good idea. for my family right now, and, uh, well, I hope you understand. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks again for the offer. Bye. I think we've all been there praying about the needs of our family, the decisions that we have to make to take this job, not take that job. Um, praying about our needs is uh, certainly important because Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 11 to pray for our needs. Give us this day our daily what? That's the Lord's Prayer. Um, we're responsible to provide the needs of our family. Put God first. Work hard. And then pray that God will add his blessing to all that's done. Another thing that a, a father is supposed to be is a priest for his family. Before the Lord instituted the priesthood, before he gave the law, the father was the priest in each home. That means that the kids looked to the father. He was the person who stood before the family and God. He was in the middle. That's what a priest is. A mediator between God and man. Someone that God uses to teach the family about the Lord. No one put it as good as Joshua in Joshua 24:15. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. He said, listen, I'm going on record. At our house, we're serving the Lord. Let's say that together. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Let's do it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, uh, 
statistics are very telling. They really are. They, uh, they give us kind of an insight onto, into the value of a father, how important he is, uh, what, he, what he should be doing. There was a report by Warren Mueller revealed that where both parents attend church regularly, listen to this, 72% of their children continued in the faith. Where only the father attended, that percentage dropped down to 55%. But where only mother attended, just 15% of the children remained involved in the church. Now, I thank the Lord that, that we have in our church, and there are many in other churches as well, mothers who come to church by themselves, they bring their family. And I'll tell you, I think their percentage is a lot better than this. Uh, God blesses anybody who will take their stand for the Lord. But when the best situation is when mother and father are on the same page. And uh, when both people take that stand, uh, it has an impact on the kids. A family needs the security of, of a father who takes spiritual leadership. There's probably not a woman in this church today who wouldn't honestly in her heart say, listen, I'm so thankful to God that my husband said and believes what Joshua said, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. It takes a lot of pressure off of a home. It really does. To know the father, listen, he's not only going to get up and go to work, but he's going to go to the workshop when he has some decisions to make, and he's going to call on God, and he's going to be the watchman for his family. There's no better illustration of this in the Bible than Job, and I'd like you to turn there, please. And this is going to be our last passage this morning. And I did a little work for you because I know Job is hard to find. It's on page 346 in the red Bible there in front of you. If you have a different Bible, I can't help you. In the red Bible, it's 346. Uh, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and shunned evil. Uh, he was a person of integrity. And the foundation of his life is he feared God and he stayed away from evil things. Uh, that's something important. He had seven sons and three daughters. Quite a family, huh? How'd you like to feed them? Uh, he also possessed... His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Um, he was the richest guy in town. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on an appointed day, their birthdays. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. They celebrated birthdays. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did regularly. Here we find a number of things about Job. The foundation of his life was he feared God. That's a good thing. It really is to fear God. I looked up a few references in the Bible about the fear of God, and I found out that Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 20, came to a place in his travels, and you know what he said? He said, there's no fear of God in this place. I guess we could say that of America in many places, couldn't we? There's no fear of God here. Uh, Moses, after God gave him the Ten Commandments, 
uh, said this, the fear of God will keep you from sinning. You know, when you lay out the commandments and you decide, hey, I think I'm going to do that, you scratch your head and say, hey, I don't really want, I don't really know if I want to meet God with that on my conscience. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, God says, fear me. Psalms 111, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, Wisdom helps you succeed. It's a good thing to fear God. Now, that doesn't mean that whenever you, the, you hear the name of God, you start to tremble and you start to shake. You have a reverential respect for God. That's what it means. His, the foundation of his life was he feared God and then he avoided evil. If he were living in our society, he would have all sorts of evil to avoid, wouldn't he? He'd put more guards on his kids' computers, all ten of them. In our world, uh, I'll tell you, we live in a very addicted, addictive world, don't we? People are addicted to everything. And I'll tell you, only the, only the most resolute person who keeps their eyes on the Lord can stay out of an addiction. Because every angle, everywhere you turn, there is some addiction waiting for you. Uh, you turn on the computer and there is pornography everywhere. Uh, you travel and you stay in motels and you flip through the channels and you can't get away from it there. Drugs and alcohol and gambling. Uh, these are all things that are accepted in our society, but yet, but once they get a hold of somebody, they begin to ruin their life and their marriage and their existence and their job. I had a pastor friend in Monroeville many years ago. He was a wonderful pastor. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his church. Uh, because he was addicted to spending, he had a spending addiction. He couldn't stop spending money. Uh, he would go out and buy the craziest things. He just had to spend money. And he would come home and lie about it, and he would steal money from other people so that he could satisfy his spending addiction. He lost everything that was important. Uh, I want to encourage you to guard yourself against addiction. When you feel that there's a, there's a trap there, you go in the other direction because every single person in this church is susceptible to addictions. Uh, he had a tremendous family. He was an extremely successful person. I guess he was the Bill Gates of his era. The most significant thing about him was the fact that he cared for the souls of his kids. When they had their birthday festivals after it was over, even if he didn't know that there was sin in their heart, he went to the Lord, and the Bible says here he offered ten burnt offerings, one for each one of his kids. Uh, even they may have uh, sinned against the Lord unknowingly, and so he interceded for God on their behalf. That's the way God did it back in that day. And whenever he offered those sacrifices, God honored him and his family. Job was a watchman for his family. You know, I think that as I look across our congregation, I know that the men of our church and the ladies of our church... You're working really hard to keep food on the table. Uh, you get up early and you go to bed late and you pay the price. And that's good. That's what you have to do. That's what my dad did for me. 
but I want to encourage you to be equally as diligent as the priest of your family. Um, now, I know that when you pray for your kids, they have their own free will. They can do what they want to do. But I am always consoled in this fact that I would hate to have not done what I was supposed to do in the family to care for the souls of my kids. I don't want to be left out on that. Children are able to make their own decisions, but every father ought to make this decision. As for me and my house, we will what? Fathers, say that with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Fathers, I want to appeal to you in a special way. Someone said one time, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. There were several little boys talking to each other and they, they were telling each other how great their dad was. And one boy said, well, my, my father knows the mayor. Another little boy said, my father knows the governor. The third little boy says, listen, my, my dad knows God. I think there's nothing greater that could ever be said about anybody than that. A priest for your family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dear Lord, as we have this invitation this morning, I just uh, pray that you'll move among us, Lord. There are dads here that they do well, working hard, five, six, and seven days a week to bring home food for the family. But Lord, we uh, oftentimes are negligent in being a watchman for the, for the souls of our family. I pray that'll change today. Move in among us, Lord. Show us how significantly important it is for fathers to take their stand for God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. And Fathers, I'd like to invite you to come and kneel here at the altar if you feel that God is speaking to you in a special way from this message today. Just step out and come and kneel here with me. And uh, as we seek the Lord, that we will be the fathers we need to be. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord.